Last week we began our talk and we had this this uh, pyramid that would help us out a little bit. And we said, here's what's going on in our lives. When we have a, a spiritual foundation that is right, whenever we spend time with God and we get this foundational relationship right, everything else goes right. Then you begin to build on it. Next, you have the relationships. A lot of people um, put relationships first. They, they think that somebody can fit that God-shaped void that's in their heart. And so they build on relationships, and that's going to fail almost 100% of the time. Because God never designed a human being to meet that need that only He can meet in your heart. He gave you a God-shaped void. Anything less than God is going to be disappointing to you. And we could probably sit around and talk about those stories of being dumped and, and dumping others when we realize that maybe we put a person in the place that only God could fit. Then we said if we, if we get the spiritual foundation right, and then if we get the relationships built on top of that, because when, I, when my spiritual relationship, when my relationship with God is where it needs to be, I'm a better husband, I'm a better father, I'm a better neighbor, I'm a better pastor. All of my relationships go better when I do what I'm supposed to do spiritually. You are the same way. When you get your spiritual relationships right, the, the uh, uh, relationships with other human beings will take care of themselves. Then we said the last relationship or the last priority then is our relationship, uh, what we're doing at work, our vocational um, areas, our commitments vocationally. A lot of folks, a lot of men especially, build their lives like this. How stable is this pyramid upside down? Not stable at all, right? And some of you are laughing. A lot of times men will build their relationships on their work because sometimes they think that's the only place that they get uh, any affirmation. And so if you think about it, what happens every couple of weeks that makes you feel good or it may, be, it may not make you feel good enough, may not bring you enough joy, but what happens every couple of weeks with your job? You get a paycheck. How many of you hate payday? <laughs> like I said, it may not be enough, but at least you're getting something and you get some type of affirmation. In our relationships, we get some type of, of uh, affirmation and that's why we tend to build those before we, we build on our spiritual relationship. But God designed you as a spiritual being. And he said, if you'll do it my way, everything will work fine. You do it the world's way and you'll crash. And we can tell story after story of our lives crashing when we're not filled, when we, when we don't build our lives the way God wants us to build our lives. So today we're going to spend a lot of time talking about these commitments and how we can build them this way so that we have this this life that is balanced. And when the storms of life hit, I guarantee you, you want the foundation to be spiritual, not relational or vocational. Because if your life is built like that, again, we could tell story after story of our lives falling apart because we don't have a strong foundation when the storms hit. And, and how many of you would say that storms are going to hit? You're either in a storm, coming out of a storm, we're about to go into a storm. That's life. And so we want to spend a lot of time figuring out how to build that foundation so that we can endure the storms of life. Let's pray together and we'll continue worshiping.
last week we didn't get the correct rapper to do an interview. We thought we'd try again and get the right one that matched up, you know, with our uh, our series theme. So uh, let's try again. Hello, are you there? Come in, MC. Yo, 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 glory. What's up, Doug? Hey, MC, how you been? Good, good. The Lord has been good to me. I've been spending my time in His Holy Word, you know, like the good book says in Ecclesiastes 4, 23, that the Lord... Oh, 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 oh. Uh, Hammer, we didn't bring you here to preach, man. Uh, we brought you here because we're doing a series that has the same name as one of your songs. You know which one that is? Hello? Hello? Oh, oh, I know which song you're talking about. Let's kick it. No, 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 no. We're, we're not doing a series on prayer. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's just not our current series. Okay, well, not pray. Well, then let's see. Oh, I know which one you're talking about. You ready? You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. No, 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 MC, that song's not even about God, is it? I mean... It says Lord, doesn't it? Uh, but no, it's not at all. It would be a great song to, for a series on, oh, I don't know, sex. Yeah, I get it. Can't touch this. Um, okay, you must know it by now because you only had like three hits, so you got to figure it out now, right? Okay, fine. Play the song. All right, well, I'm glad you gathered here on this great Lord's Day to worship Him. Hallelujah! I feel His presence here. He's right around the corner, I think. Um, what? Yeah, well, thanks for joining us today. Maybe you can come back in a few weeks when we do our series on authority issues. Ah, oh, authority issues. I know somebody that can talk about authority issues. Nathan, that drummer boy. He just don't listen to his daddy for nothing. I mean, his daddy's got a date every other week. But he ain't got no date. What's up with that? You gotta listen to your daddy. He knows how to date, son. But but anyway, uh, I'm okay. I'm yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll have you back in a couple weeks, bro. Too legit. Too legit to quit. Too legit. Too legit to quit. Too legit. Nothing but talent in this church. It just oozes out of us. Oh, why do we um, 
Why do we get our priorities messed up? Why do we get them out of whack? At least part of the reason is we're one of those instant gratification societies. You know, we love the microwave. We love drive throughs We love those kinds of things. And, and we talked about this when it comes to work every two weeks, every month, you get a paycheck. So you get some affirmation. If you are really committed to your job, men, uh, women, what happens is your boss may notice it and they may pat you on the back and you get a promotion, which means you get more money and more responsibilities and all those things. And, and life is just grand. And, you know, a lot of men believe that the number one value in life is to provide for their family. So they'll stay late at work. And and that's the whole issue. And and God approves of that goal of providing for your families, except when it's in first place. When we get it out of whack, we get that one first. Ask the family members of a successful dad whether they would like to have the riches or whether they'd like to spend time with their dad. Many successful dads, they'll trade everything they have for riches And their kids just want them to come home and play with them. The kids just want their time. I know too many people who are successful in the eyes of the world that um, that their families are falling apart. Their wives don't have any relationship with them. Their kids are hurting because dad has put vocation as the number one value in life. Other folks have built their their entire existence on whether a certain person of the opposite sex likes them or not, whether they are paying any attention to them and uh, and. And those relationships, the problem with that is those relationships fail 99% of the time. The only time I've seen one of those relationships work when you put a person up at top is when you realize what you're doing, when you cry out to God and say, God, I have screwed up here putting a person in the place that only you can fit, and I need you to rearrange my life. So I would have said 100%, but 99% of the time those relationships fail, 1% um, succeed, and that's only when you realize what you've done and you confess that to God. So if having our spiritual lives is the best way to live and the only way to die, how come people don't spend all of their time getting this relationship with God closer and closer? I think it's because we want to see something with immediate benefits. We, we don't want to wait. And God tends to work like a glacier at the speed of a glacier. You ever watch one of those puppies? I got to go to uh, Alaska a year ago. Got to go on a cruise with my parents for their 60th wedding anniversary. And that was part of the deal was going and checking out glaciers. <laughs> they don't do much. We sat in front of one for, you know, like an hour. They don't do squat. But we, we did this study. Janie and I had the maps and we had the books and we watched the little programs on the, the TV on the, on the cruise ship. And we saw what had happened through the centuries as these glaciers either advanced or retreated. And then when they say, man, the, 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 even the channel, the fjord that you're in right now was carved out by a glacier several hundred years ago. And you start looking around going, dude, glaciers make a big impact over time. But we don't like to wait. And so God says the spiritual commitment only comes over time. And we're like, I ain't got that much time, God. Let's go. Let's get moving. And God says, No. He's more worried about your character than your comfort. If he ever has to make a choice, he is always going to choose something that will mold your character because you're not going to take your comfort to heaven. You're going to take your character to heaven. And God says the part that stays on with you after you die, that's what I'm interested in, because that's what I'm going to be hanging out with whenever you come to heaven. So if God has to make a choice, always, always he's going to choose your character. Now, in the Old Testament, there's a story that we need to look at. And this story kind of fascinates me as I was reading back over it this week and as I was thinking about it. 
it happens at the very point in history where God decides he's going to create a nation of Israel. It doesn't exist yet. There are people in existence, but there's no nation called Israel yet. And so God comes to this dude named Abram. Later, he changes his name to Abraham. It's a significant event in his life. But he comes to him when Abraham is 75 years old and his wife, Sarai, and again, her name will be changed later on. That's a significant thing. When she's 65 years old. Now, seems to me, if I'm going to start a nation, I wouldn't pick a Geritol couple for the ones that I'm going to start with. I mean, you know, but, but God didn't ask my opinion. So he shows up and he's talking to 75-year-old to Abram and he says, Yo, dude, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a child. And then this is really funny because up to this point, Sarah is barren. I mean, she can't have kids. So God comes to him in this impossible situation. The folks that shouldn't be able to have children anymore, that hadn't been able to have children up to this point, he says, Hey, I'm going to make you a great nation. God, God just does some crazy things to me sometimes. And so I'm sure Abraham was just really excited about this. Oh, God's going to make me a great nation. But when God talked to him, he left out one very, very important detail, at least to me. He didn't tell him when. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation. Follow me. I'll make you a great nation. And Abraham didn't think to ask when. He was all excited. Goes back and tells Sarah, Whoo, we're going to have a child. She doesn't believe it. She laughs. That's what Isaac, when they finally have a child, that's what they name him is Isaac, laughter, because they laughed. And I think God laughed with them because he knew what he was about to do. Now, 25 years later, 25 years later, Abraham's 100, Sarah's 90. God shows up and he goes, okay, this time next year, you're going to be holding the little baby boy. And they laugh again. (laughs) Yeah, God. And what happens? They have a child. 25 stinking years. Are you kidding me? We can't wait a week. And God says he's going to do something massive in Abraham's life, but it took him 25 years. Is God just in the remedial class? Is he slow? Does he do math differently than we do math? You know, that type of thing. No. Why did it take him 25 years? Because it took him 25 years to make a father suitable for a nation. God had to make Abraham into a man that he could trust with Isaac because as goes the father, so goes the next several generations. As goes the fathers of a nation, so goes the nation. And so it was a big deal. And so what God, what God does then is he begins to test him. And, and some of the tests, Abraham blows them. I mean, he just falls flat on his face. That's why it took 25 years. The lessons kept getting harder. And so God has one last test that he wants Abraham to go through. And this is after the child of promise has shown up. Now, think about this before before we read the passage. If it's going to be a test, it's got to be something that that would be kind of difficult to do as a test. You know, you want you want it to prove commitment. You want it to prove faith, belief in God. And so it for it to be a real test, it had to be something that that Abraham would look at and go, huh, I don't want to do that. Otherwise, it's not a real test. So it defied logic. Let's look at it in Genesis 22, 1 through 13. It's uh, it's up here on the screen. I think I just gave you one or two verses on your listening guide. Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham's faith. God said to him, Abraham, and he answered, here I am. Then God said, take your only son, Isaac, the son you love and go to the land of Moriah. Kill him there and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Abraham got up early in the morning and saddled his donkey. He took Isaac and two servants with him. After he cut the wood for the sacrifice, they went to the place God had told him to go. 
On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey. My son and I will go over there and worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the sacrifice and gave it to his son to carry, but he himself took the knife and the fire. So he and his son went on together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, uh, said to his father, Abraham, father, Abraham answered, yes, my son. Isaac said, we have the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb that we will burn as a sacrifice? Abraham answered, God will give us the lamb for a sacrifice, my son. So Abraham and his son went on together and came to the place God had told him about. Abraham built an altar there. He laid the wood on it, and then he tied up his son Isaac, and he laid him on the wood on the altar. Then Abraham took his knife and was about to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from the heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham answered, yes. The angel said, don't kill your son or hurt him in any way. Now I can see that you trust God and that you have not kept your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham looked up and saw a male sheep caught in a bush by its horns. So Abraham went and took the sheep and killed it. He offered it as a whole burnt offering to God, and his son was saved. Now, you know, you know that if you're Abraham, this request had to be totally, totally unreasonable. And I guess he learned a thing or two over the 25 to 35 years. You know, 25 years before Isaac was born, he's probably 10 or 11 at this point. He'd learned a few things in that 35 years that that caused him to trust in God because he gives instant, unquestioning obedience. And, you know, this um, this particular journey must have been tortured. Now, I didn't ask my son if I could do this, so he's going to get major bucks today. Come here, Caleb. Now, he was about this age. Come on up. You don't have to say anything. You just have to stand here and hug me. We're good at that. Now, he was about this age and God calls Abraham and he says, Abraham, sacrifice your son. He's my only son. Now, can you imagine me going into his room and saying, hey, Caleb. Let's go camping, and, and Beersheba was about 50 miles away from Mount Moriah, so back in that day it would take three days' journey to get there. So, Caleb, let's go drive for three days and go camping. Now, just think about what I'm going to talk to him about, knowing in my mind, driving for three days. We talk a lot. We go hunting, we go fishing, we do all this stuff together. We talk nonstop, don't we? Nonstop about anything, you know, whatever comes into our mind. Can you imagine a three days' journey when I know, when I see the mountain, I know that I'm supposed to take him, tie him up, lay him down on an altar and kill him. What are we going to talk about? Because he's not knowing what's up. He's talking just like normal. And my heart would be burdened. Now, Abraham, when they get within the side of the mountain, Abraham says something that kind of startles me when I read through it. And I really think about this. He says to the servants, you stay here. My son and I will go to the mountain and worship and come back to you. That sounds like faith to me. That sounds like commitment. And so then he hands his son the wood and he takes the knife and the fire and they start walking along. And I can I can imagine him going. "Uh, Dad. We forgetting something. Abraham just says the Lord will provide. So they go up on the mountain. And I, I think about that. Son, you got to trust me. Son, do you trust me? I'm going to tie you up. I'm going to stick you on the altar. Think about that. Because see, the only thing that Abraham knew was A, everything that God had promised him about this nation of Israel was tied up in Isaac. And B, 
He was supposed to kill Isaac. You can go sit down. Thanks. Oh, yeah. Give him a hand. Give him a hand. He gets a dollar every time I mention his name, so I don't know. We'll have to figure out what he gets paid today for having to endure that. I just, I just can't imagine having my son up there. But passing this test, you know what it showed God? Abraham was ready to be the father of a nation because as goes the father, so goes the nation. And did you know that, that Abraham's life his commitment passing this test also affects us today. Because if you read in the Bible, what, what happens hundreds of years later? Who becomes a direct descendant of Abraham? Jesus Christ. You know Him. He's the Savior of the world. God told Abraham way back when He first appears to him, when he's 75, I will bless the world through you. I will make your name great. I will make you into a big nation. But you've got to be committed. Now, there are some lessons that, um, that we need to learn from this. And these are on your listening guide. Here's some lessons that I, I hope we'll take out of this story about Abraham. Number one, commitment starts in the heart. You know, when we, if we were Abraham, we would think, man, God, you are taken forever. You remember when the children of Israel, when they didn't go into the promised land because ten spies said, oh, no, we can't go in because they're giants and they'll kill us. And two spies said we could. God made them wander 40 years for one year for every day that they were in the promised land, scouting out the promised land and bringing back this report. Forty years. That seems like forever. But God works at the speed of a glacier. And so if you're not seeing any spiritual results in your life, a you're not committed and God's never promised to work through somebody who's not committed or B, maybe you just can't see with spiritual eyes what God is doing. Because sometimes when we're sitting around in, in Celebrate Recovery, in fact, this last week at Recovery, we're sitting in our group. And one of the things we were talking about is what is something God has done in your life, something that's happened in your life over the past six months or a year that only God could have done. And we started sharing this had to be God because that's not me. My marriage is better because God did some stuff. That's not me. God moves slowly, and a lot of times we only see Him when we look back. We see that God has been doing some things. Commitment starts in the heart. You don't fall into commitment. I know we talk about falling into love. Isn't that really a stupid term? I fall in love. Which that means you could fall out of love. Which means maybe... Love isn't about falling in and falling out. Maybe love is a decision. I read a book called that. Love is a decision. Because I don't always feel like loving my family, my wife. But I've made a commitment to them. And when I'm committed to my family, to my wife, there's security there. And we know that regardless of what happens, neither one of us are walking out the door. That's because commitment starts in the heart. You make a decision to be committed. And, and I just want to say this. Don't claim that, that you are committed to God if there's any relationship higher in priority, any human relationship higher in priority than God. That you're, you're not committed to God, then you're committed to someone else. And anything else in first place is an idol. And uh, the first of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not have any other gods in my sight. No other gods before me. So anything in first place is an idol. But when you make a commitment to God, then God does incredible things in your life. Abraham was committed 
But the question was, was he still going to be committed after the promise was received? It's one thing to say, oh, yeah, I'll be committed and I'll wait on you, God. But then when you get the promise, are you still committed or do you walk out the door? God needs to know because he's not going to give you assignments if he can't trust you. Second thing, commitment is tested by action. Nothing is easier than saying words. Nothing is more difficult than living by those words day after day after day. Um, You've all been to weddings. I've done many weddings. Going to do some more. And we make all kinds of promises on our wedding day. And, you know, I heard a pastor one time say this. He said, isn't it interesting that most people go to the church house to get married because they want God's blessing, but they go to the courthouse to get a divorce. They don't even ask God about it. Anyway, that's a sermon for another day. We'll get on that later. (laughs) Commitment is tested by action. A newly elected judge who just won office in a special county election during his acceptance speech, he said this. I wish to thank the 424 people who promised to vote for me. I wish to thank the 316 people who said they did vote for me. I wish to thank the 47 people who came out last Thursday to vote. And I wish to thank the 26 people who actually did vote for me. It's easy to say one thing. It's, it's difficult to follow through on those things. And when you find out if you're really committed, it's by your actions. Number three, third thing we need to learn from, from Abraham. Commitment opens the door to achievement. Commitment opens the door to achievement. Now, in life, there are some things you need to procrastinate on because, quite honestly, they're just not worth doing. But anything that God shows you, you don't need to procrastinate on that. Because God tests us with small assignments to see if we're ready for larger assignments. And what I want you to to think about today, don't wait for New Year's to, to make these resolutions. If God shows you something, start today. If there's an area of your life that needs to be committed, start today. If you've got the whole pyramid out of whack, today say, God, I want to commit my life to you. And by the way, if you commit your life to God, because see... I don't think God's as interested in the individual parts of your life as he is the whole part of your life. For example, a lot of people will say, "Okay, God, I give you my work life. It stinks anyway. Can't get any worse. I'll just give you my work life. God doesn't want that. What God says is, if you'll give me your whole life. I'll take care of the individual components. I'll build on this foundation that will make your life work. Now, you can start now today with these commitments or you you can go home today and you can watch friends or you can say, I want to be in a small group and make friends. (laughs) You uh, you can read the newspaper today or you can read the Bible. You can worship God or you will worship something else because God created us as beings that want to worship something. The choice is yours, but when you choose to commit your life to Christ, he will give you incredible benefits. And one of the benefits we talked about this week was peace. And people throw this word around all the time in churches, especially as we're coming up, you know, to the Christmas season. Um, You know, uh, peace be to you. And, and, you know, just all these slogans that we have on cards and we have in in windows. We we say uh, happy holidays now. I can't say Merry Christmas. I guess we can still say peace on earth, you know, and we can say those types of things as long as it doesn't reference Jesus or anything like that. But how does peace really help you? Have you ever been around those people that regardless of what happens in their life, all the circumstances, the storms of life will hit and they seem to be calm during it? 
Now, either they're nuts and they're not aware of what's going on around them, or they have a close relationship with God. Because I want you to think back, when, when Jesus said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, He said this to all of His followers. Incredible things have been happening. He'd done all kinds of miracles in front of them. He said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, your first clue that you're going to get there is Jesus, the Son of God, said, let's go to the other side. <laughs> but they get in the boat, and some of these followers were experienced fishermen. They'd been on the Sea of Galilee. If you've ever seen it, there's huge mountains and cliffs around it. And when the when um, uh, high pressure or low pressure comes over those mountains, these incredible force winds will come down onto the Sea of Galilee and make huge waves. And back then, you know, they didn't have motorboats. It was just sailboats and fishing boats. And so these fishermen who've been experienced on the Sea of Galilee, they get so scared. They st- I can see them running around on the boat going, ah, we're going to die, we're going to die. Because, you know, you've seen people when they are scared to death, they start freaking. So, ah, we're going to die, we're going to die. And they run up to Jesus. What's Jesus doing? Jesus is snoring in the front of the boat. And they wake him up. I mean, my first clue is the son of God's asleep. Don't sweat it. (laughs) You know, if you can see Jesus, do whatever Jesus is doing. If he's sleeping, lay down, pretend you're asleep and then pray. Oh, dear God. Um, But they shake him and they say, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? God's son. Wipes the sleep out of his eyes. I I imagine him smiling. He says, peace, be still. I don't know if you've ever been on a lake when, when you think you're going to die. I have. It's no fun. But Jesus says, peace be still. And you know, after a storm waves, it takes a while for the waves to die down. Not when Jesus speaks. Did y'all see that Bruce Carey movie? I don't even remember what it was. No, not, not that one. Not that one. The one where they have the camera on him. What was that? Truman Show. The Truman Show, when they had all of the special effects going on, they could make it calm down. Jesus says, peace be still, it's still. And what was the reaction of the followers of Jesus when they saw it? Ooh. And they started whispering to each other, they're going, who is this dude? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I mean, they've already said he's the son of God. See, this doesn't make sense to me. Because when we're scared, we just check out of reality. Our brains don't work. Because think about this. All right, Son of God has said, we're going the other side of the lake. The Son of God is asleep. Is God going to let His Son, who's come to save the world, die in a boat? And didn't Jesus also walk on the water? And didn't Peter also say, you know, Jesus, if it's really you, tell me to walk on the water? What do you got to worry about if the Son of God is asleep in your boat? Now, my problem when I'm on the lake, I don't have the Son of God asleep in my boat, so I might get a little bit worried if the storm comes up. This is what I'm talking about with peace. When the storms of your life hit and your heart can remain calm, it's probably because you are within sight of the Son of God. When the storms hit and my kids come flying in my room, they go right back to sleep in the floor because I won't let them in the bed. I can't sleep with nobody touching me. I kick them out. But if they're in my room, if they're in sight of Daddy and Mama, they're going to snore. The thing is, peace is offered, but it's not offered to people who give half their heart to God, who say, oh, well, you can have my marriage. You can have my work. No, God says, I want everything. And and look what he says in Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. So here's what I want you to do. 
It's going to cost you something if you're going to get peace, if you're going to get security, if you're going to get safety, if you're going to get provision in your life. It will cost you something. Here it is. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life. Does that pretty much cover it? Sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around. That's everything, right? And place it before God as an offering. Now, if you've memorized this, I memorized this in a different translation. It says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. The problem with living sacrifices is they tend to wiggle off of the altar. Right? So, giving your life to Christ is a one-time deal, but committing to Christ is an everyday deal and sometimes an every hour deal and sometimes an every minute deal. And when I do that, then He offers all of those benefits for me. Let's look at the rest of the verse. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit, in, uh, fit into it without even thinking. Instead, here it is. Fix your attention on God. Where's your attention when you don't have peace? It's not on God. It's on the waves. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Everything worthwhile in life requires commitment. We said last week, commitment means pledging yourself to a position no matter what the cost. When God said human beings can't make it to heaven on their own, Jesus, i got to send you. It cost him his son. It cost Jesus his life. And so he says, if you want all the benefits that I have to offer as God of the universe, it will cost you your life. Now, not a, you don't go and you kill yourself because that's a dead sacrifice. The Bible never says anymore in the New Testament that God wants dead sacrifices. He wants living sacrifices. That means I have to place my rights and my will on the altar every day. And everything we do around here reflects commitment because we said your commitments will determine your legacy in life. And, and we started talking this through in, in, in our team. We have a team that meets every Wednesday morning trying to plan the most creative ways that we can communicate with you so that when you leave, you'll remember. And if nothing else, you probably won't remember much of the sermon. You'll remember Hammer being here. If you were here last week, we had Vanilla Ice, the one hit wonder. Um, that was pretty interesting. But we have this commitment that we get together every Wednesday morning and we plan and, and it takes commitment to follow through with those things. Um, it took commitment for you to even have these videos that we saw last week and this week. I didn't know that till this week. We were talking about commitment and everything we do requires commitment. And I found out that um, the only time that Wes and Alex could get together to, to view, uh, I mean, to film these videos was after Wes had been gone to a marching competition. So he had to get up early and drive half of East Texas, come back. Which means they don't get to start until late afternoon on Saturday, a week ago Saturday, doing the Vanilla Ice and MC Hammer thing. And so that means Alex doesn't even get to start until later that evening editing it. And so he's got to give up some stuff. You know what would have been the easy thing to do? Ah, we don't have time. And you never would have known anything about it. Because you don't know what happens in our creative meetings until we do something with it. Um, as, as simple as this is. It took me two weeks to figure it out because what I did, I mean, not the cutting and all of that stuff. 
I walk through Walmart in Palestine. I walk through stores. I'm thinking pyramid, pyramid, because in our creative meeting, we drew it out and we said, OK, here's the base and here's the middle and here's the top. We need to do this. And I said, well, I can get the you know board out. And I'm sorry, drawer. Y'all know that if you've seen me draw anything, I stink. I'd have to tell you that's a triangle um, for you to understand what it was. But I'm walking through Walmart and I'm going, oh, and I'm praying. Walking through Walmart. Maybe we should do that more. Maybe we'd spend less. Anyway, <laughs> walking through Walmart and I'm, I'm looking in the craft section. I'm looking over here. And, and then late on a Saturday night after Janie and I had been to the bed and breakfast, church sent us away to the bed and breakfast so that we could have a night together and, and to say thank you for being pastor and all that stuff. Came back and went four wheeling and, and uh, for um, William's birthday party. And we did that all day. And right as I'm laying down last Saturday night, it hits me. Oh, I got the chop saw. It wouldn't be hard to do this. But it had been so much easier just not to do it. But what we said when we started the church was we were going to be committed to being as creative as we could be because our commitments determine our legacy. And we said, if we're going to be committed, it's going to cost us something, which means I got up at 6 a.m. last Sunday morning and had to run to Walmart to get these little dowel rods because I was trying to figure out how to keep it from spinning. I got these these letters. Well, that stinks. You saw how that worked. We had to had to do this down here. But my whole point is everything in life that that is going to produce results requires commitment. Our band is up here at 9 a.m. every Sunday. Well, at least most of them are here, except the one who has authority issues. Um, they're here at nine o'clock every Sunday morning. That's not easy. David comes from Athens every week to lead us in worship. And they're going back to the Wednesday night practices because um, just got to get stuff done. It takes commitment. And so what we're asking you to do today is to think about where is your commitment level? You know, there's certain things you need to be more committed to. But the number one thing is God. If your spiritual life is not in order, nothing else is going to work. So I want you to take your registration cards, if you would.